fully conscious but paralyzed patients communicating by electrical activity. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a focus on future medicine. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. John Donahue. Dr. Donahue is the Henry Merritt Reston Professor and Director of the Brain Sciences Program at Brown University. He is also the author of more than 100 articles and book chapters in the neurosciences and a recipient of the Javits Neuroscience Investigator Award from the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Donahue comes to us today from his office in Providence, Rhode Island. And today we're discussing brain-computer interfaces and future directions of research. John, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Gary. Maybe before we get into the current work you're doing at Brown, maybe you could tell us a little bit how about your background and how you got interested in this fascinating area of research. I am a neuroscientist by training. I have been interested in how the brain works and particularly the relationship between the brain and control of movement. This has been a lifelong interest and has led to our understanding of how to translate brain signals into movement, which we've applied to the neural prosthesis systems that we're developing. That is interesting stuff. Well, let's talk a little bit about your current work with cyberkinetics neurotechnology systems. And I understand that you now have some, is it four patients involved in a clinical trial, or is there more? We've studied four patients with the chronic implant in the what we call the BrainGate trial, which is the trial for persons with tetraplegia. In addition, we've also tested the array, that is the sensor we have, in a short-term trial in a a number of patients who are undergoing epilepsy recording procedures, and they, as a test, we've also recorded with this tiny sensor in those patients, too. I know that they've used other technologies to understand epileptic foci, and is, 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 is uh, the work that you're doing add to that? Does it help immediately clinically with that problem as well? This is something that's under investigation. So action potentials are a different kind of signal than those that are ordinarily recorded either on the surface of the brain or on the surface of the scalp, the EEG signals. So these action potentials signals are potentially useful in diagnosing or even potentially predicting seizures. And so that's being investigated at the current time. Now, the work you're doing with uh, tetraplegic, or as many of us know it, quadriplegic patients, your goal here, ultimately, if one were to look at a practical application, would be to find some way for that patient to be able to communicate with the outside world without using the limbs as you and I do. Tell us a little bit how that might look or how it looks in your patients right now. Right, so the current pilot version keeps a lot of the electronics and signal processing on the outside of the body. So it consists of first an implanted sensor that is a tiny sensor implanted on the brain and a cable that comes out or really a connector that comes through the skin and a cable is connected to that pedestal on the the, uh, skull that brings the information out to a cart full of electronics where all of the processing is done to convert brain signals into a control signal to operate a computer. And when the patient is not being tested or when this work is being done, I assume they're ambulatory or at least as ambulatory as they were in a wheelchair? or So they're tethered by the cable currently. So in order to operate the system, the current system requires hookup of this connector on the head, and it has a cable that tethers the patient to the location where we're testing it, and it requires a technician to run the whole system. And that's after we have identified, in which I think we've made great steps already, identifying that the system works. But once it works, then you miniaturize the components to make them fully implantable. 
that's something we're working on now. But the concepts you feel fairly uh, comfortable with. I'm very pleased with the progress so far, but it is an ongoing pilot trial, so we're still collecting data. Tell us a little bit about the kinds of patients you have and how this work has impacted your trial patients. So there are four patients that have been implanted with the sensor that are all tetraplegic. Two of them have cervical spinal cord injuries. That means they can't move their arms and legs, but they can speak. Then one individual has a brainstem stroke, so this is higher up than the spinal cord, and she's also unable to speak as well as not move her arms and legs. And then one other patient who's actually a second trial, and the patient has ALS, or amyotropic lateral sclerosis, and is also paralyzed and unable to speak. How have things changed for them in this trial? How, how are they reacting to it? What kind of interaction do you have with, with these patients? And... Well, it, there's obviously a lot of interaction because there are weekly or more than once a week sessions with the individuals. And they really, I think, enjoy the ability to interact, first of all. But secondly, the fact that they're, again, controlling things, even though it's only a computer cursor. Although we have done a number of demonstrations, in particular our first participant, Matthew, to show that you could, in fact, control physical objects. Matthew controlled a prosthetic hand, and he could open and close the hand, and even he was good enough, he could pinch me with the hand. He also was able to control a robotic arm and grab a piece of candy and hand it to someone. And our third patient, the brainstem stroke patient, was recently we showed that she could control a wheelchair, a powered wheelchair, not with her in it, but you know, across the room, and she drove it across the room. These were demonstrations that useful technologies could be operated using the control signals we get. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a focus on future medicine on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. John Donahue, and we're discussing brain-computer interfaces and future directions of research. John, with this clinical trial you have going now with four patients, what's the timing on this? Is that going to be over? And then what kind of steps are are next for your group? So each participant is studied for one year, although they can go on. And then we have two trials going on. Five are allowed in each each of the two trials. So the first trial has three patients, so we could do up to two more. And the ALS trial has up to five also, and we could do up to four more. So we have a ways to go yet with both trials. In terms of the future, there are a couple of, I think, really exciting prospects. The first, of course, is that in order to make this a practical technology, we have to make the sensor fully implantable, get rid of the cable and the percutaneous connector, the, the, the plug that goes through the skin. So we are now working on that, and we even have a prototype system that will be tested in an animal pretty soon. So that's, And that will be a wireless implant that will work something like a cochlear implant, if you've seen those, in which the signals are broadcast through the skin, and there's a little button-sized sensor on the other side that picks it up. So that will make it portable and easy to use. We also have to work on automating the signal. That's really a lot of computer science work that's partially underway right now. As you look down the road in this sort of generic neuroprosthetic business, do you see or have others seen potential commercial applications for this? Yes. Obviously, what we'd like to do is to provide control and independence to the large number of people with a variety of disorders that have movement impairments. This could range from disorders like spinal cord injury or muscular dystrophy, where people are, are unable to move at all, or even cerebral palsy, where some motion is possible, but in some cases, it's the motions are not useful in, in, in everyday tasks. So this would provide a channel, and a product we would envision would provide individuals the ability to interact, first through a computer, because you can do so many things through a computer. You can control 
your lights and heat and environment through a computer, through easily adaptable technology. But you can be productive. You can go to work. There's entertainment on the computer. So that would be the first thing. And that we foresee you know, being, being a very useful product for individuals. A more ambitious use of this technology, which will come, I'm certain, someday, but we're now working on, is now imagine you could take the brain gate sensor signal, that is the brain's command to move, and with wires hook it up to an electrical stimulation system that went into your muscles. So basically this is a physical nervous system that now takes the brain signals and brings them back to the muscles again. So the muscle stimulation system is called an FES system or functional electrical stimulation. And FES systems exist. There are about 300 people that have them implanted. And using that electrical stimulation, they can open and close their hand, and they can actually, you know, paralyzed people can pick up a cup and bring the cup to their mouth and take a drink, something that a tetraplegic can ordinarily not do. Now, they rely on switches on the outside to do this, or very crude signals. But now what we would hope is to hook the brain back up to that stimulator so that the individual would be moving again merely by thinking about it, just like you or I do. So just bypass the injured spinal cord and go from there. That's right. Wow. That is fascinating stuff. Let me ask you this. Your research is capturing action potentials and making them available to be used in some fashion. Are there any other technologies out there, I won't say competing technologies, but say other technologies that people have thought about in order to get some of the same endpoints? Yes. Any way you can try to get brain signals out could potentially be a useful command signal. So EEG signals, which do not require implantation of a sensor into the brain, can be used. But these are different representation of what is available in the brain. So they're, they're a more general state of the brain. And so users would typically be required to learn to control those signals, which may take some time. And they may be limited in what they could actually do with these signals. And they require a lot of attention to use them. This is for certain individuals, and in certain cases, this could be a very useful control signal. We just think that BrainGate is a path to a very rich control signal, and ultimately, as we just discussed, a way to reconnect the nervous system and potentially, someday, far into the future, you know, reanimate the muscles in a way that you wouldn't know that somebody had a spinal cord injury. I suspect many of us are uh, fascinated by this research, and, and I want to thank Dr. John Donahue again for uh, this opportunity a look into some, some important work being done at Brown University. Dr. John Donahue has been our guest. We've been discussing computer brain interfaces. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and you've been listening to Focus on Future Medicine on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library.